Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by coronatools.com, the nation's leader in garden and landscaping tools. Listeners of The Organic View can receive 20% off their coronatools.com purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. And don't forget to check out our contest section. On today's show, Tom and I have a number of topics that we're going to try to cover, including some interesting news from ICAR, which is the Indian Council for Agricultural Research about biopesticides, Virginia State Pollinator Protection Plan, Michigan's extension for pesticide applicator certification, news about annual pesticide poisoning statistics, and the California bee kill. First, I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper Tom Theobald. Hello, Tom. Hello, June. From still sunny Colorado, but they have a big blizzard forecast for tonight. So, typical spring Springtime in the Rockies. How does this impact the bees with the fluctuation in the temperature, Tom? For people that don't know about beekeeping or even for some of the hobbies that are still learning? It depends on how the temperature arrives. If if we have a relatively slow change in the temperature, then the bees accommodate to that. They come in out of the field and as it continues to cool, they cluster together in the hive. If the temperature changes suddenly, as it does frequently in this part of the world, then the bees can be caught in, an, in, the, in a difficult situation. For example, if they're in the hive and evenly distributed because it's been a relatively warm day and all of a sudden the temperature drops, Rather than having the time to regroup in the central part of the hive, they may be caught in three or four different bunches in different parts of the hive. Now, at this time of the year, that's not really a a big problem because it probably isn't going to be that cold and it probably isn't going to last that long. But if you have something like that happen in January, which it does out here in the West, um, those smaller clusters don't have the thermal mass or the population or the strength to carry them through an extended cold period. So if it's a gradual change in the temperature, the bees accommodate, and they've done that for millions of years, and they're quite good at it. It's the sudden changes that are the most hazardous. Thank you, Tom. The first topic that I'd like to talk about is in regards to an article that appeared in the Financial Express pertaining to India. This is in regards to the Indian Council for Agricultural Research. And apparently they have in the last couple of years granted more than 465 industrial licenses for production of biopesticides. Tom, what is your opinion of biopesticides. Biopesticides, folks, in case you don't know what they are, they're sourced from natural resources such as animals, plants, bacteria, and certain minerals. So it's very controversial, but from a beekeeper's perspective, what are your thoughts? Well, 
I don't know much detail about what the biopesticides are that they have created, but if I think about it, we've used biology to defend against biology for a long, long time. I certainly would be more in favor of that than these weird chemicals that we've injected into the environment that have never existed in the history of mankind. I'm very concerned about the chemicals. But as I think about it, this could be a very well-intentioned, beneficial approach to these problems that we face as a species. My concern is that they may make the same mistakes with biopesticides that they've made with chemical pesticides when the market forces begin to creep in and make decisions based upon the ability to market these and make a profit as opposed to the humanity of it. And we just talked last week about Cheerios. And I'm not trying to beat up General Mills, but look at Cheerios. Honey Nut Cheerios is trading on the concerns of the people over the loss of honeybees by distributing seed packets. And Honey Nut Cheerios has virtually no honey and virtually no nuts. What kind of thinking allows them to feed this kind of thing to children? What what sort of thinking allows them to, to, to conduct this kind of deception and dishonesty? And the market force's greed is a very sinister maiden. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know what will happen to the to the biopesticides as they become more popular and uh, and the market forces creep in. I don't know. We None of us know, but we certainly have to watch this closely. Well, Tom, do you recall a product called Snackwells? It was a big, very big snack that was very popular, I would say, in the late 90s. Everybody was eating them because they indicated that they were something healthy. And the name, Snackwells, which are still on the market from what I understand, but they were something that so many people that I knew stocked up on because they felt that it was a healthier alternative. And they were cookies. They were all sorts of stuff. And if you read the label, it's no different than having a chocolate chip cookie or anything like that. It's just the name indicated good health and because it came in a green package people were lazy they didn't bother reading the labels so this is not something that's new this has been around for a long time just as the snake oil salesman that used to come around back when you were younger i mean this has well, been going on for such a long time it's just for, with the bees you know come on the bees are in decline everybody knows it to exploit the bees for profit is just really disgraceful it's tacky for 50 years, we've been assured of the safety of most of these chemicals that have been used for a variety of things, primarily agriculture, insect and pest control. And we were assured of their safety, and we're still being assured of their safety. My concern is that just because something is a biopesticide doesn't make it friendly necessarily. And... If a biopesticide releases something into the environment, the equivalent of the Black Plague or some horrible something or other, 
what have we accomplished? I don't know. I don't want to rain on these people's parade because I think these efforts are in the right direction. But I think that we need to be very careful in how we handle these and how we oversee them because there's a great opportunity for misuse as well. Agreed. The next topic that I'd like to talk about is in regards to a new UN report which was published back in January in regards to the number of people that are poisoned by pesticides each year. It says an average of about 200,000 people die from toxic exposure of pesticides per year across the world having catastrophic impacts on human health and the environment. What's interesting is that they don't mention neonicotinoids specifically, but the impact on human health has yet to surface. In regards to this article, it further goes on to say that the report enlists an array of serious illness and health issues with suspected links to pesticides, including cancer, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's disease, hormone disruption, birth defects, sterility, and neurological effects. The report held systemic denial fueled by the pesticide and agro industry responsible for the magnitude of the damage inflicted by these chemicals. It says that people can be exposed to dangerous levels of pesticides in a wide variety of ways, ranging from farmers who use it on their crops to babies drinking their mother's contaminated breast milk, and those who are untouched by pesticide exposure can be exposed through food, water, air, or direct contact with pesticides or residues. The bottom line that describes some of the effects of neonicotinoid exposure. It's not uh, clear just yet what the effect may be on non-insects. The neonicotinoids were presented and promoted as being specific to the insects. And as I understand it, the reason for that was that the target synapses Insects have considerably more target synapses than mammals do. So the neonicotinoids target the insect's nervous system rather than the people's. I don't think it's that simple, and I think we're beginning to see some human consequences of this massive use of this chemical family all across the globe. But I think there are many others that are contributing to our ill health and have for almost my entire life. I'm 74 years old. I'm probably one of the last of a generation that was relatively free of these chemical exposures. I was 10 years old, and the chemicals were just beginning to come into use in farm country after the war. Since that time, we've all been subjected to a barrage of thousands of different chemicals, some of which we know about, some of which are controversial, others we have no idea that we're being exposed. What are the health consequences of that? Well, I guess, you know, we need to talk to someone in the American Medical Association about what the incidence of certain diseases are over the past 30 or 40 years. I think it would be very revealing, but we've done that repeatedly, and this poisoning continues. And until we come to grips with that, I don't think anything's going to change. In the state of Virginia, the Pollinator Protection Plan is making some progress. Even though there have been concerns in regards to President Trump's 
proposed significant cuts to the EPA, which oversees federal pesticide regulations, there are still efforts being made. Although Maryland was the state that introduced a statewide plan to protect pollinators, Virginia's state pollinator plan is also making some progress. This is very interesting, June. There's much more to this story than the average reader or listener would understand. The uh, the earlier efforts in Maryland were to restrict the use by homeowners of the neonicotinoids, and that was a state plan, a state law. What we're talking about here is a federal effort and generally called Manage Pollinator Protection Plans, MP3s. And this is the result of about 15 years of manipulation by the EPA in an effort to disenfranchise beekeepers and relieve themselves of any responsibilities under the federal law. Um, these MP3 programs come with no enforcement authority, no money, no support, and they're supposed to protect pollinators. The only provisions in there are intended not to protect the pollinators, but to protect the pesticides and the use of the pesticides. What little protection there is is limited to bees which are under a formal contract for pollination. Any other bees are at their own risk. They have no protection whatsoever under the law because what the EPA has done is issued a series of policy decisions and in effect has subverted federal law through administrative fiat. They've provided policy decisions which allow for the violation of federal law. So while they would like to present these pollinator protection plans as a step forward, it's really a disgrace what's been done. Um, I'd be happy to talk to anyone in the EPA who would like to debate this subject, but you won't hear much from them. They don't want to be any more public than they have to be. So I, uh, I'm just one of those few who will speak out against this. Tom, every year with the annual California almond pollination season, unfortunately, we've come to expect a massive bee kill. Can you share with our listeners what you've recently learned from one of the largest beekeepers in America? I haven't spoken directly with him, but I have spoken with beekeepers who are close to that operation. All the beekeepers out in California know each other. You know, this is this is the major event of the year and as I understand it uh, the bees were in the almonds under contract for pollination and an adjacent landowner sprayed another crop a peach crop or a nectarine crop and produced a bee kill that that killed up to 3,000 perhaps even double that colonies of bees we're talking about a multi-million-dollar uh, bee kill. This came early in the pollination season, and had this beekeeper not had the resources to replace the bees that were killed, I believe it was something like 1,500 colonies. At two colonies per acre, you can do the math, and you can understand the number of acres of almonds that were involved. Without the bees, an almond 
producer can expect about 60 pounds of almonds per acre. With two colonies per acre, he can expect about 2,600 pounds. So this is a potentially a terrible loss for the almond grower. This beekeeper had bees that hadn't been contracted for yet because he was such a large beekeeper. And ironically, the reason he had more bees was because he didn't experience as severe pesticide problems in the Dakotas in the previous summer as he had in years prior. So what he did was he replaced the bees that had been killed and plans to file an insurance claim for over a million dollars is my understanding. Um, there are other beekeepers who were not so fortunate though, and they just have to take the loss. Um, so 300 colony, 3,000 colonies, maybe as high as 6,000 colonies, and this is going on all too frequently. The beekeepers are at risk when they're in California, and they stand to lose a great deal, and few of them have any recourse. This has been going on for a long time, and, and I, I feel for these beekeepers. We're all on the ropes. Unfortunately, you still are and until EPA actually steps up to the plate and does its job these things are going to happen unfortunately EPA isn't going to do anything let's be frank here the EPA isn't going to do anything they're under the complete control of the pesticide industry and agribusiness I really feel for the working level people because I think most of them want to do what the EPA has been chartered to do but they're operating under such corrupted management control that their output is to endorse and protect the pesticides. We had a major meeting a couple of years ago where one of the participants blurted out the fact that the EPA's new uh, mission was the stewardship of pesticides. Well, <laughs> you know, I don't think I was the only one who was a little astounded by that. It would be like the American Medical Association coming out and saying that their responsibility is the stewardship of disease or the stewardship of cancer. We have a very dysfunctional system here, and I don't know if we have any hope that it's going to change. Well, Tom, to be continued... Tom, thanks for taking the time to join me today. And folks, if you have any questions for us, please write to us at questions at theorganicview.com. Tune in next week as Tom and I continue the discussion. Thank you, June. And uh, I'm sure some of the listeners are, are beginning to wear a bit on my uh, ranting about what's going on here. But I'll warn them that I plan to continue to speak out until I see some changes to what's going on because I think there are huge stakes at risk here. Human health. I just became a great grandfather. I'm very concerned about the future of that little boy. That's one of the reasons I do this. On that note, congratulations, Tom. And folks, thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.